Chapter 14. Many are not ready. Many professing Christians are not prepared for suffering. You have seen earlier what the necessary prerequisites for a suffering condition are and what kind of people you must be, both for habitual and actual readiness, if you are ever to honor Christ by bonds or by death for Him. And I do not doubt that your judgments and consciences yield to the evident necessity of these things in which I have placed the Christian's readiness. But among the throngs and crowds of professing Christians, we cannot find large numbers of those who are so qualified and prepared. To suffer for Christ is a gift that few have received. We are fallen into the dregs of time. Oh, how little of the early church zeal and simplicity remain among the professors of this age! Latter times have produced a kind of professors of another stamp and spirit. These now have the light, but earlier ones had the love. These see more, but those did and suffered more. How many who are no ornament to religion do adorn themselves with the name of it? Now, according to this account given of a ready Christian, many professing people will be convicted of their unreadiness and instability to manage the work of suffering. The first people unprepared for suffering are the expedient and hypocritical professors, whose hearts were never set right in the first place and therefore cannot be steadfast when trials come. Psalm 78 verse 8 Their hearts were never sound in God's statutes, so it is no wonder if they are not only ashamed to, but ashamed of their profession. Psalm 119 verse 80 Never be surprised if you see that profession that began in hypocrisy end in apostasy. These lack their habitual readiness for sufferings, so they cannot drink of that cup. When tried, their fall is unavoidable, and when they fall, they fall dreadfully and often irrecoverably, for they have neither the seed of God in them nor any promise of God made to them. Many like these are found in every place, for how difficult is it to persuade many of you to any duty that has loss or hazard accompanying it? Does not the sincere heart stand inclinable and disposed to all the known will of God? Psalm 119 verse 6. Do Christians habitually seek more what is cheap, easy, and safe for them, or what is their duty? Galatians chapter 1 verse 16. Speak, conscience, for to you I appeal. Are you not conscious of some reserves, limitations, and exceptions? Do we, like Naaman, desire the Lord to excuse and pardon us in this or that thing? 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 17. Do you think this is consistent with sincere obedience, which accepts no duty nor quarrels with any command because they all bow equally from the sovereignty of God? James chapter 2 verse 11, and does what it does at the sight of God's will? Say, conscience, are there not great struggles, disputes, and contests between you and fleshly interests in such cases? And do you not frequently lose? Oh, search your hearts in this area. But I ask you, are there not many among you who choose sin rather than affliction? This is always the hypocrite's option and choice. He judges sufferings the greatest evil, and so orders himself in his choices. It was only to avoid persecution that those hypocrites Paul speaks of constrained others to be circumcised. Galatians chapter 6 verse 12. They did it only to indulge the Jews, so that by a sinful compliance with them, the offense of the cross might cease. If Paul would have done so, 
He also might have avoided persecution, but he did not dare no matter what he suffered. Galatians chapter 5 verse 11. This is a shrewd sign of a false heart. Job chapter 36 verse 21. And the opposite disposition is always found in the upright heart. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25. Are there not some who have and others who are ready to toss off their professions when they see in what difficulties it involves them? While they could live on the profession of truth, they entertained it, but when truth comes to live on them, they thrust it out and cry, Away with this profession! It will impoverish and ruin us. They then regret their zeal and secretly wish they had never engaged in it. Examine whether your hearts are turned back like this and your steps turned away. If so, it is evident that you are hypocritical professors and that it was some outward self-respect that first engaged you in your profession but can never enable you to hold out when difficult days come. I say it is evident by this departure from your profession that some outward self-respect at first allured you to it. As now, when I behold the artful motions of the wheels in a watch and see how regularly the needle marks the journey hours of the sun on the flat of the quadrant and see nothing that moves or guides it, it would cause admiration if I had never seen it before or did not understand the cause and motion. But when I look on the other side and there find wheels, Rousseaus, counterpoises, and a spring that causes all those motions, I cease to wonder. Certainly, some lust or other was the spring of all your religious motions. If you stop and take that off, the motion ceases, and then this scab of hypocrisy will at last break out into that tumor of apostasy. You can never hold out long under trials. Matthew chapter 13, verse 21. Oh, how many such sad sights might we live to see as trials come! Difficult times are coming. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 And woe to those then who lack sincerity at the bottom of their profession. Although these have no habitual readiness for sufferings and consequently will be ruined by them, there are others who may be truly godly and have the root of the matter in them, but who are yet far from an actual readiness. If they continue as they are, they are likely to be a reproach to religion when their trial comes. For a little grace in the sleepy habit will not keep you from falling scandalously by the hand of temptation. Although that seed of God that is in you will restore you and prevent total and final apostasy, consider what a sad thing it is to enter into and be conquered by temptation. Be led away in triumph by the tempter and made a reproach to Christ. Oh, it is sad to think how many there be among the people of God who discover little or no actual preparation for sufferings. On how many of the saints has the spirit of slumber been poured? Even the wise, as well as foolish, now seem to be asleep. There is a twofold spiritual sleep. The first is total and on wicked men, and it is one of God's most grievous and dreadful strokes on their souls. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 10. The Hebrew word there in Isaiah is the same word used of Adam when God cast him into that deep sleep while he took out his rib. Genesis chapter 2 verse 21. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 26, it signifies a sleep such as that occasioned by drunkenness. Out of such a sleep the Lord awakens all who are saved, and they never fall into it any more. The other is partial and is incident to the people of God. Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 2. Matthew chapter 25 verse 5 
This is the stagnation or sluggishness of spirit that seizes on the saints, and I fear it never prevailed among them more than it does now. Where is their activity for God? Where are those who stirreth up themselves to take hold of God? Isaiah chapter 64 verse 7. Where is there a generation such as the generation of them that seek Him? Psalm 24 verse 6. For the most part, we pray, confer, and hear as people who are between sleeping and waking. Where can you find, except here and there, one who has a quick and lively sense of God's indignation on him or who trembles at his judgments? Does not God's description of the blind and deaf in Isaiah chapter 42 apply to most? 2. How many are seized by a private and worldly spirit? Everyone returns to their own house and eagerly pursues the world. Jeremiah chapter 45 verses 4 through 5, Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 9. Oh, we are entangled in the wilderness. The world eats up our time, eats out our zeal, softens and makes cowards of our spirits and renders us utterly unfit for the yoke and burden of Christ. You who see so much beauty and taste so much sweetness in the creature will have a hard task when called to deny it. You are not yet prepared to drink of the cup or take up the cross of Christ. 3. How many poor Christians are of a low and timid spirit, ready to tremble at the shaking of a leaf? Poor hearts, how unfit you are for bonds or death. This passion of fear that so predominates in you is the very passion that Satan assaults and lays siege to in the hour of temptation as we noted before. Where it does not come from the natural constitution, this fear is usually occasioned by an excessive love of the world or some guilt on the spirit. It is true, the Lord can so assist weak faith and subdue strong fears that you may be enabled to stand the shock when it comes. For as I noted before, our strength lies not in anything inherent in us, but we are strong or weak according to the divine presence and assistances that we enjoy. But if you do not labor to mortify this evil, and do not stir up yourselves in the use of all appointed means to rouse your zeal and courage for God, I know of no guarantee you have to expect such help. 4. Last, how many poor Christians among us are to this day unclear and cloudy about their assurance and evidence for heaven? If they had walked closely with God, laboriously searching and studying their own hearts, they would have long ago obtained a clearness and satisfaction about the state of their own hearts. But as they are, they are unfit for bonds or death. Oh, it is a sad case when inward and outward troubles meet together. Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. When without were fightings, within were fears. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. When such a pang as, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 18, comes over your heart, what will you do? By all that has been said, it appears that most professors of faith are in a very unready posture for sufferings, so that as troubles come to a height, we are likely to see many sad spectacles. Many offenses will come and religion is likely to be wounded in the house of its friends. Oh, we have enjoyed such a day of mercy. We have helps and superior advantages above any previous age, but we are still unready. How sad and inexcusable is this!